Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced many of our favorite restaurants to go out of business. So I went searching for a female chef who is a role model for women in her industry. In the spotlight, a superstar chef who has won countless awards, including the culinary industry's top honor, the James Beard Award. A trip to Boston just isn't complete without a stop at one of her incredible restaurants, including Trade, Soloniki, and Porto. Her name is Jody Adams, and this is her story. Jody, welcome to the show. So good to be with you, Kenny. I'm sorry that we can't be in person. Let's start with restaurants, Jody. How long were you closed, and what does reopening look like in this phase? Well, we closed on the Saturday, which I think was the 15th of March. We were concerned about the health and safety of our staff and of our guests, and we just took the initiative to close before the governor actually mandated that we close. And how do things look right now in this phase of the recovery? We reopened Saloniki Fenway within a week. We wanted to bring our managers back. They wanted to work, and we knew that it had a to-go presence in the community, and so we did. And we are running at about 40%. Three weeks into the COVID shutdown, we heard the call for meals for frontline hospital workers and for vulnerable restaurant workers. So we started a GoFundMe page and raised $75,000 that enabled us to serve over 21,000 meals over the course of 12 weeks in partnership with Off Their Plate and the Ed Lee Foundation. It was an amazing effort. When we were allowed to open outdoors, our landlords generously enabled us to almost triple our patio capacity. So at Porto, when it doesn't rain, it's lovely and really wonderful. And it's wonderful to be able to serve. You know, we're, everybody's in masks and gloves. We have sanitizer on the table. As people get up from the table, they're asked to put their masks on as they walk through the restaurant to go to the restrooms, but tables are far apart. As I said, it's patio seatings. There's a lot of airflow. The sad news is that one in four restaurants may never recover from the shutdown. What do you see and hear from fellow restaurateurs and how are they making it through this tough time? It's hard. It's painful. It's heartbreaking. It could be 75% of independent restaurants. Think about that. 75% of the potential to not reopen. That's not 75% of restaurants in Massachusetts, but 75% of the restaurants in Massachusetts are independent restaurants. I mean, that's a 100% statistic, right? Restaurateurs are resourceful people. It's in their DNA to give, to take care of people, to pivot, be nimble. I've heard so many stories of people who brought their staff back to work, paid them out of their own pocket, went into their savings to pay their rent, turned their restaurants into grocery stores, cooked for people most vulnerable and at risk, provided transportation for their staff members who were working so they wouldn't have to use public transportation in order to keep everybody safe. It's a really painful, scary time. And the PPP, for those of us who got the first round, was amazing. However, we were required to use it in eight weeks. Well, we we weren't even gonna be open in eight weeks. We wouldn't even have had patio seating in eight weeks. So 
there was a lot of confusion about that. And then there was the extension to 24 weeks, which made all the difference also at more P available to those particularly smaller restaurants owned by people of color who hadn't had access to those dollars. Some did get access and the 24 weeks has been great, but we are in the middle of the bridge. That's gonna take us through October. And then the cold weather sets in. People aren't gonna to wanna to sit outside. We don't know what our seating capacity is gonna be like. We don't know if there's gonna be a surge, a second wave, whatever. So we are advocating with the Independent Restaurant Coalition for a restaurant act. It's called the Restaurant Act. It's a $120 billion bill that is in the House sponsored by Congressman Blumenauer from Oregon and in the Senate from Senator Wicker from Mississippi. It's a bipartisan bill. It would be a lifeline for small independent restaurants. Jody, what is it about sitting down to eat with someone or with your family, your coworkers? This sharing of food and conversation is as old as time. What's the magic of it? I think the magic of it is that it validates that you're human. You're breaking bread, sharing sustenance, the definition of hospitality is actually taking care of other people. And it was a responsibility at times when people were traveling and they would approach a community, a village, a campground, whatever. It was the responsibility of the people who were already settled to take care of those strangers because by extending hospitality to a stranger, you brought them into your world. You took care of them. They made them part of you. And then everybody was safe. Eating is one of the most basic needs that we have. And offering sustenance to somebody else is the greatest gift of generosity. Generosity and giving is what's getting us through this time. You've spent 35 years creating great food in great spaces. What are the ingredients to a great experience at any restaurant? To be made to feel that you are important, that the person that greets you as you walk through the door, whether it's a fast casual a McDonald's, you know, a Saloniki, a Porto, a Rialto, you know, a Lesbalier, it doesn't matter. It's that person that makes you feel that you are welcome, important, and you are drawn in. A commitment to providing the best quality product, food, service, hospitality that I've promised you. Let's talk about Rialto, one of my favorite restaurants of all time. You closed it in Harvard Square after a 22-year, very successful run. And I read somewhere that you became aware that the trends were changing and people wanted more of a casual vibe versus a, a fine dining experience. Talk to me a little bit about that. Things were moving so fast in terms of our lifestyle. There was a big, interesting international influence on restaurants from the Middle East and Eastern Mediterranean, from Southeast Asia, from places like Greece, where the style of the cuisine is based on bringing many plates to the table, all different kinds of things that people would share. That wasn't the style at Rialto. Rialto was a white tablecloth, four course, fine dining Italian restaurant. White tablecloths felt too formal to people. White chef's jackets felt too formal to people. You know, chefs were moving into t-shirts and bistro aprons and rolling up their sleeves and serving the food. The whole dynamic had started to change. Mediterranean dishes are your specialty. So my question is, what is it about that region and that taste that you love so much? Spanish food, 
Southern French food, Italian food, that's my wheelhouse. Those are cuisines where the best ingredients, the freshest ingredients, ingredients from the earth are taken and not really messed with very much. You know what Italian food, what the imprint is. It's basil, it's tomato, it's olive oil, it's garlic, it's Parmesan cheese. If you go to Spain, it's jamon, it's uh, peppers, saffron. If you go to the south of France, it's anchovies, capers, and olives. And if you go to Greece, it's olives, feta, oregano. You know, each cuisine has an imprint, but all of them are cuisines where the food is pretty much left to shine on its own. And as a chef, it's learning to have a light touch in many ways is harder than lots of manipulation. When asked, you know, what is my favorite meal? It's always has tomatoes in it. It might be beans and clams or it's pasta. I mean, I make pasta all the time. It's my go-to. Our childhoods frame us. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what was the vibe like in your house? I grew up in an academic family. My father was a rare book librarian and my mother was also a librarian. He was at Brown and she was at the Providence Public Library and later at the New Bedford Whaling Museum. We lived in England for a year and traveled in Europe, traveled to France and Italy, went to Holland and Germany and also Morocco, actually. Before I graduated from high school, I had traveled quite a bit in Europe. Afterwards, I actually spent a summer in Guatemala with my uncle, who was also an academic. In our family, we came together every night for a meal that was made from scratch. It was simple food. You know, my mother was working. It was often meatloaf or roast chicken. It wasn't necessarily fancy, but she loved to entertain. They loved to entertain. So she drew from books like Elizabeth David, Julia Child's books, and created French and Italian menus for these dinner parties. We shopped in Federal Hill, which is an Italian neighborhood in Providence. I learned about Parmesan cheese and fresh pasta and olive oil and all of those things when I was in high school. When did you decide, Jody, that being a chef was what you wanted to do? Were you inspired one day? Did it grow slowly? How, how did that work? I can identify the two points in my life where I thought, ah, this is the right thing. Number one was I got a job working in a gourmet food store when I was in college. I knew the woman who, who had opened the store. It was right at the beginning of the sort of emergence of these wonderful stores like Gina DeLuca and Formaggio. And there was one in Tiverton, Rhode Island. I was working there. And I got behind the counter. I had never worked in a restaurant. I'd never worked around that kind of food before. I just felt like I was at home. I stayed there for two years and then came to Boston and got a job working for Lydia Shire. I knew after those two years that I wanted to work in restaurants. I had cooked for a woman in high school who taught cooking classes. I'd worked for a catering company. I'd actually cooked quite a bit before I got to that gourmet food store, but I'd never been behind a counter that way. So I had the good fortune of meeting Julia Child in those years, and she told me to come to Boston and work for Lydia Shire. If you ever knew Julia, you knew they did what, what she told you to do. <laughs> Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. 
More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Chart Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. J.C. Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. Let's get back to the story of superstar chef Jody Adams on the story behind her success. I was really fortunate to get a position that I was underqualified for. Gordon Hammersley was the sous chef. Lydia was the chef. I knew how to cook. I just didn't know how to cook in a fast-paced restaurant. And I burned myself and cut myself like nobody's business. But I was determined to succeed. And I just put my head down and worked harder than I knew I could. And I wanted to learn everything. You know, you watch shows like Top Chef and you come away with the impression that chefs are pretty temperamental. Is that true about you? Doesn't sound like it. Well, I think that people are temperamental if they're not prepared. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I, did I get upset and did I ever yell at somebody? Absolutely. I wanted to figure out how to move people forward to teach them what I wanted them to do without resorting to yelling. And I learned it was being really prepared, teaching, training. You know, so if something wasn't going right, or if somebody was making the same mistake over and over again, and instead of first yelling at them, I'd look to myself and say, hmm, you know, did we give that person all the information that they need? Did I train them properly? You know, did they have the support they need? I wasn't perfect, believe me, but I tried. You know, I'm thinking about Julia Child, Lydia Shire, Gordon Hammersley. I'm going to guess you learned something from each of them. Can you share what that was? I'll start with Lydia. I learned from Lydia to be fearless about food, to try anything in terms of ingredients, but stay true to the traditional techniques that you're working from. From Gordon, I learned about building teams in a restaurant, being respectful of your team, building a community. I worked for him when he opened Hammerson's Bistro, the first one, and watched him and Fiona build the community that came to that restaurant and to really appreciate simple, simple food. It was French bistro food. It was different than what I had been doing at Seasons with Lydia. At Seasons with Lydia, the food was a little more fancy, a little more intricate. The techniques were more complicated. Whereas at Hammersley's Bistro, it was simpler and to appreciate that. And from Julia, I learned to be respectful of the position that you have in life and to be generous. When she came into the restaurant, she wanted to go into the kitchen and find out how everybody was doing and talk to each of the staff members. She was incredibly generous and recognized that her connection with individuals was what allowed her to hold the platform that she did and that being respectful of that was really important. 
It's one thing to be a chef, and it's another to feature your recipes, your brand, your vibe in one restaurant. Can you take me back to opening day at your very first restaurant? How did you feel? What was that like? When I opened Rialto, I, I think I was numb. I mean, I was in my mid-30s, and it was a huge, huge job. Plus, I had a three-year-old. I was trying to figure out how to build a team and be a manager and also produce the best quality food and teach people about food. It was a crazy roller coaster. I never wavered on the quality of the food. And I think that that is really critical that I stood at that pass and watched plates go out for years and years and years and stuck spoons in to tasted sauces to make sure that they were right. I didn't leave the kitchen for many, many years. It wasn't until years later that I ever ventured out into the dining room to talk to guests. You are a business owner, and that makes you an entrepreneur. So what does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? It takes getting up off your butt, no matter how hard it is, how hard you fell, how impossible it looks, and try and figure out what's the next move forward. Whether that's putting together a business plan and going to investors and trying to raise money for a restaurant. If you're turned down a lot of times, it's incredibly demoralizing. You have to believe in what you're doing and get right back up again and keep calling and networking and asking. Once you have a business, it's paying attention to that business to make sure you're delivering on your promise and making sure you have the right people there and making sure you're always relevant. So you're nimble and changing. And if people aren't buying something that you're in love with, that you have, let's say, on your menu, and, but it's not selling, even though you think it's your signature, you got to ditch it and do something else. It's just never stopping, not allowing yourself to be too tired and give up. You also have a partnership with other owners. So the question is, how do you make that work? Sometimes it's tricky, right? A hundred percent. Sometimes it's tricky. Sometimes it's working well. Sometimes it's not working well. The best experience is when everybody can be honest and vulnerable. And that doesn't always happen. Not everybody in the group can be honest and vulnerable, or they can be vulnerable about certain things, but not about other things or in certain ways. And I think what I've learned is to listen, to appreciate that everybody's different, to do my job and be articulate about what I think my job is challenge others when I think they need to be challenged, but recognize that it's always a negotiation. So I don't get everything that I want. They don't get everything that they want. It's a compromise. What does it take to create a following as a chef? How do you build that brand? Is it one meal at a time, one experience at a time? What I did was build it one plate at a time, but really one customer at a time. Also being an active member of the community and being a good citizen and being generous, that's how I know how to do it. I also took opportunities that came along to give myself a public presence. For instance, I was on Top Chef Masters that allowed me to reach an, a national audience on television. It wasn't my most comfortable decision to make, but I actually <laughs> had a blast doing it. I really loved it. It's also making sure that you're communicating who you are to the world and what you're doing in whatever way is comfortable for you. I was once told, this was about 10 years ago when I was thinking of writing a book, that I wasn't really relevant. If I were a male with tattoos and a prison record, then maybe <laughs> <laughs> I would be relevant. So I'm waiting for my time to come back around. 
You know, right now I'm, I'm an advocate and I'm advocating for independent restaurants, particularly in Massachusetts and not just mine, other people's. I feel like I have the ability to say, we need to shine the light on restaurant owners who have small restaurants, restaurants owned by people of color, restaurants that are mom and pop shops. These are the backbone of our neighborhoods and our communities and we need to save them. There's a website which is called saverestaurants.com. The backslash is take action. And I'm guessing that if our listeners want to know more about how they can save local restaurants, that's a great website to go to. Jody, what do you wish you knew when you first got started? A restaurant is like a farm. It requires attention, you know, 24 hours a day, one way or the other. If you like to work that way, and if you like to work with other people and share and give. It's the place for you. I I feel so fortunate to have found restaurants. It is all consuming. It's harder now than ever before. The finances are more difficult. It's going to be more difficult after COVID. So my advice is keep it simple. Make sure you're doing something that you care about, that you believe in. Don't expect that the business is going to take care of you. You're going to have to take care of it. When you get to a place where there's an obstacle in your path, how do you get around it? I stomp my feet and throw things. No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hit an obstacle. Sometimes I feel like I've lost, but usually I just take some time, take a breath. And the best route I find is to pick up the phone and call somebody who might have an answer, who might be able to get me going in another direction. And that's why having a community of people that are working on the same agenda is really important. Final question. What does success mean to you, Jody Adams? So at one point when I was asked that, when I had small children, I would say the fewest number of people pissed off at me at one time because it was so (laughs) hard. If you have two kids and a husband and a business and partners, there's no balance. You just have to accept compromise because I was making mistakes right, left, and sideways. That's how you make your way towards success is by making mistakes. And I didn't know that at the time. I would say, be kind to yourself when you make mistakes. Get back up and ask for help. Success for me at this point is to be viewed as somebody who right now has something to say and something to contribute and will make a difference in this next chapter in the world of restaurants keeping my restaurants going, you know, keeping my staff employed, as many of them as possible, keeping everybody healthy and safe, bringing a lot of love and joy. Jody, I want to say thank you so much for being my guest this week on The Story Behind Her Success. Oh, thank you, Candy. Thanks for inviting me, letting me tell my story and sharing all of this with you. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?